I have the joy of being married to my best friend. And I've been crazy about Beth from the very first day we met. And I'm always amped up to be around her even now. Now, this is a bit embarrassing to admit, but when we first met, we met when we were students at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, and when we first met, she was dating someone else, which was a big disappointment to me. When we were starting to spend some time together, we would go out on walks in downtown Chicago. This is a bit embarrassing to admit, but while we were on walks, I would try to line up our steps while we were walking. If you ever tried to do that, it can be very awkward. So while I'm walking, I'm like watching where her feet are falling and I'm trying to match it up and I'm stumbling. It's very awkward. She doesn't even remember me doing that, but I do. And often that didn't work so well because, well, she walks faster than I do. But I continued to try to match our strides. Now, I thought I was the only strange person who did this, but I found out this week that step matching is a real thing. I can tell some of you have tried it as well, and it's awkward, isn't it? So by God's grace, Beth and I have been walking together in marriage for more than 38 years as we strive to keep in step with each other. Yes, by serving Christ and this community together. Beth is down on the lower level, worshiping with the little ones. She uh, teaches the fours and fives. Amos chapter 3, verse 3 says, Can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? Well, we're wrapping up our series that we've simply called Our Holy Helper, Uh, Two weeks ago, we learned about the identity of the Holy Spirit, who he is. Last weekend, we focused on his activity, what he does. And today, well, we're going to discover how important it is for us to stay synchronized with the Spirit. Would you join me as we pray? Lord, we come to the part in our service where it's our joy and our privilege to open up uh, your word, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Lord, you tell us that the one you seek for, the one you're looking for, is the one who trembles at your word. And at the same time, Lord, you invite us to come and feast from it, to drink deeply from it. Holy Spirit, now we pray that you would be our teacher Another one of your roles is to remind us of truth. You're also our helper. You've inspired your word, and you also illuminate it. You help us to understand it and then apply it. Holy Spirit, you are our teacher, so would you help us to engage now, continuing in our worship as we uncover and discover perhaps new things, certainly to be reminded of things that some of us already know. Jesus, would you be prominent, and even more than that, preeminent, as we focus on your glorious work in the sending of the Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, 
Amen, amen. By the way, some have asked over this series the significance of the symbols that we're uh, portraying on this title slide. Now, in the Bible, the Holy Spirit has a number of different metaphors. These metaphors or symbols describe who he is, describe part of his attributes, and even aspects of his work. So one of the most common ones is the dove. The dove represents God's provision, expresses the Holy Spirit's gentleness and innocence and purity and patience and peace. You'll remember when Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit came down as a dove. Secondly, the wind is a symbol of God's omnipresence. The Holy Spirit is everywhere present at the same time, and he is all powerful. We read in John 3 verse 8 that the Spirit blows like the wind where the wind blows, where the Spirit goes. Acts chapter 2, we see the wind coming from the Holy Spirit. The wave symbolizes how the Holy Spirit cleanses and flows through us as living waters. You can read about that in John 7. And then the fire Well, the fire of the Holy Spirit focuses on his power, on his presence, and his purifying work. Matthew 3.11, also day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. Well, next month, December, we're going to kick off a new series. We're calling it Before Bethlehem. If you'd like to do some reading beforehand, we are going to camp in the first opening verses of the Gospel of John during the month of December. Here's our main idea today. To walk by the Spirit, we must keep in step with the Spirit. Well, let's dive in. In the Bible, the word walk is often a metaphor for practical daily living. On a literal basis, it simply means to tread with the feet, but also it refers to one's conduct, one's behavior. Among other things, walking implies progress. So I'm here, I want to go over there, I'm walking from where I was to where I want to go or where I ought to be. Walking also refers to living differently than we did before we were saved. So if you've been converted, maybe some of you are still that side of that decision. You've not yet put your faith and trust in Christ. I pray that today would be the day you do that. But to believers, Paul writes these words, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as who? As the Gentiles do. In the futility of their minds, he's saying, Christians, you're different, so walk differently. That brings to mind a popular expression used by philosophers in the first century. If a Greek wanted to know what you thought, they simply asked you. If a Jew wanted to know what you thought, they followed you around for a week. (laughs) How would that be for us if somebody followed you around for a whole week, everything you did, even those things we do in secret? What would they conclude? Ezekiel 36, let's go back to the Old Testament. This is a really significant prophecy. Check this. Looking forward to the day of Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. 
I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I'll give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. And notice what it says next. And cause you to what? Walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. If you have a Bible with you, open it up to Galatians chapter 5. If you have a mobile device, turn there. If you want to see a Bible and you don't have one in front of you, there are Bibles in the seat backs uh, right in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, take that Bible as our gift to you. It's important for us to see the Word with our own eyes. So Galatians chapter 5, in that chapter, the Holy Spirit is mentioned eight different times. And after describing the freedom we have in Christ, that's verse 1, Paul celebrates the Holy Spirit's work in verse 5. Notice, for through the Spirit, by faith, we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Now, let's drop down to verses 16 through 18. We're going to see how walking by the Spirit keeps us from falling into the ditch of depravity. And notice there's a conflict going on. Well, let me personalize it. There's a battle going on right now in you, within you. It's between the Holy Spirit who lives within you, if you're a born-again believer, and your flesh. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh, those things we want to do, are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. Notice, these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And let me point out, the word walk here is a present imperative, meaning it's a command for right now. It's to keep on walking. It's not you once walk. No, it's keep on walking right now. See, the Holy Spirit does not operate automatically in our lives. We must intentionally depend on him by following his lead. The word led means to bring forth, to carry I think of Romans 8, 14, the Spirit is committed to lead us for all who are led by the Spirit of God, our sons of God. So as we walk by the Spirit, he leads us to freedom and fruitfulness. Have you ever tried to live the Christian life in your own strength? How's that go for you? Not well. See, we need to remember we're saved by the Savior and sanctified by the Spirit. Ponder Galatians 3, verse 3. Paul asks a question. There's actually two questions. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? So when our flesh is in the driver's seat, And some of us could give testimony to this. When you're just living according to your own pleasures, your own wants, your own desires, bad things happen. Join me in verse 19. We can go right into the ditch of depravity. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, 
sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. And then he says, and things like these. So even more, that's what we're all capable of. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, when we submit to the Holy Spirit's lead and we synchronize our steps with his steps, we will see, watch this, his fruit ripen in our lives. Very next verses, but, see the word but, that's a contrast to the works of the flesh, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Well, let's pause here and Go down a little deeper. Let's draw out some implications and some applications. Number one, we cannot create fruit on our own. Verse 17 reminds us how the sinful nature and the spirit desire contrary things. So the fruit of the spirit can only come from the faithful spirit of God. We can't just say, I'm going to try to be more loving, and then it happens. Or I'm going to try to be more joyful, and then our crabbiness takes over. Or we try to be more peaceful, and then we're all anxious. No, fruit is not something we do. Fruit is something we display. Vices come from our sinful nature. Virtues come from the Spirit's work. Number two, the fruit of the Spirit is a package deal. Observe, verse 22, the use of the singular fruit. It doesn't say fruits. See, this shows these character qualities, these divine virtues are, well, more like a cluster of grapes. The grapes are fruit, not fruits. It's not a pick-and-choose list like like a Thanksgiving buffet, which we all overate at, right? Where you're like, I'll take a little of this, a little of that. I'll I'll take a little love, and I'll pass on the self-control. Pass on the patience. Yeah, I could use a little joy. I'll take a little helping of that. That's not how it works. It's a package deal. It's a full meal deal. It's one kind of fruit with all these nine different qualities to it. Number three, the focus is on Christian character. And so let's make a distinction between the gift of the Holy Spirit which happens at salvation when you are born again. You receive the Holy Spirit, all of the Holy Spirit, at conversion. We can call that the gift of the Spirit. And then the gifts of the Spirit, which have to do with service, more about that in just a bit, and the graces of the Spirit, which refers to Christian character. Unfortunately, we have sometimes elevated the gifts of the Spirit over the graces of the Spirit. You've heard me mention this before, but there's a lot of pastors and ministry leaders who, well, they've disqualified themselves from ministry because of behavior, 
because of either sexual behavior or financial misuse or control. And, 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 and if you've been watching the news these last several years, it, man, it's, it's, it's just so sad. And, and I think one thing we can learn from that is many who've become disqualified, what we can learn from that is character has to be more important than talent or skill. Next, the fruit must be displayed individually and collectively. We're not given the fruit of the Spirit just so some individuals can be more kind or more faithful. Listen, if our church is to be the community God desires for it to be, Edgewood must be, must be characterized by love and joy and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. And I see that here. Next, the fruit of the Spirit should be the result of living the normal Christian life. So these character qualities are not meant to be the exception for believers, but rather the norm. The display of the fruit of the Spirit is not the result of more faith or more work or more frantic fanaticism. It's simply the result of normal Christian living where we daily surrender to the Spirit's will, where we die to self, where we love God with everything we've got and we love our neighbor as ourself. And then finally, bearing fruit is both a gift and a task. We've been given the fruit of the Spirit, and yet we're reminded, Galatians 5.16, to live by the Spirit. Now, the key to fruitfulness is found in Galatians 5.25. Join me there, next verse down, or two verses down. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. That's a military term, meaning we must march in a straight line, synchronized, taking our orders only from him. And as we walk by the Spirit and yield to him, his fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, will ripen in our lives. So here's a question. Does your walk match your talk? Does it line up? Does that synchronize? The poet Edgar Guest once said, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. (laughs) To walk by the Spirit, we must keep in step with the Spirit. Number two, work by the Spirit. So we walk by the Spirit in order to be fruitful, but we're to work by the Spirit as we exercise the spiritual gifts he's given to us to fortify the body of Christ. Now, the Greek word for spiritual gift is charismata or charisma or what we would hear, charisma. It's a cognate of the word charis, which means grace. And so a spiritual gift can be defined as the supernatural ability given to believers for Christian service. 1 Corinthians 12.1 says we need to know about spiritual gifts. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. 
Hey, if you're a born-again believer, here's some good news for you today. You have at least one spiritual gift given to you at conversion by the Holy Spirit of God. You say, where do you see that? Several places. Here's one, 1 Peter 4.10. As each has received a gift, use it to do what? Serve one another. Now, to do a full study of this, which we don't have time to do this morning, uh, you would need to dive into Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14. Let me just say this. 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, by design, is nestled between chapter 12 and chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, which deal with spiritual gifts. And so Paul's saying, there's not, don't be boasting about the gift you have. And they had a lot of problems at the church at Corinth. And so he talks in chapter 13 about love being the greatest. So Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, Ephesians chapter 4, and 1 Peter chapter 4. Depending on how you count all those lists, there's approximately 20 different spiritual gifts listed. Well, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 7 says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each, here's the second evidence why we all have been given at least one gift, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, the key word in this passage is varieties. We have various gifts. There are varieties of service. This word speaks of opportunities for expressing our gift in practical ways. The word empowers there reminds us that whatever we do, whatever we accomplish is because the Holy Spirit empowers us. And when we serve according to our giftedness, God gives us energy and we in turn energize the church through our service. Chuck Swindoll sees three different group giftings. He categorizes them this way. I think it's quite helpful. Speaking gifts, serving gifts, and sign gifts, which are more temporary in nature. 2 Corinthians 12, 12 says these sign gifts were given to the apostles and were critical to the church in its embryonic stage. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. Now, these sign gifts were especially important before the Bible was compiled, before the canon was complete. 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 10 suggests many of these sign gifts cease to function. Notice, love never ends. As for prophecies, well, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. The giving of spiritual gifts is under the divine, sovereign direction of the Holy Spirit. We see in 1 Corinthians 12, 11, all these are empowered by one and the same 
spirit, notice here's the third evidence that we've all been given at least one, who apportions to each one individually as he will. So that spiritual gift you've been given, maybe you're like, oh, I don't really like that one. I wish I had that one. Well, it's the Holy Spirit who gives us our gifts. And spiritual gifts are distributed in order to be deployed. After listing some of the spiritual gifts, we read about their purpose in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 12 through 14. Listen uh, here, Ephesians chapter 4, beginning verse 12, to equip the saints to do what? For the work of ministry. And what happens? For building up the body of Christ. For how long? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood. So we mature as we use our gifts, as the body is equipped, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful Scheme. So it's really important to know what your spiritual gift, and it's essential that you're using that gift to help build up the body of Christ here at Edgewood. One pastor writes, we're not all equal in terms of talents and gifts and opportunities. Some have more, some have less. The question is not, what have I been given, but what will I do with what I've been given? Listen, if you're not serving somewhere, and some of you are serving in the community, partnering with some of our Go Team partners, that's fantastic. Listen, if you're not serving somewhere, have you ever considered this? You're short-circuiting your spiritual life, and you're causing the church to be less effective in our mission of making mature disciples who disciple others. So friends, we must guard against taking a consumeristic approach to Christianity. And one way to avoid that is to see yourself as a servant. I mean, even call yourself a servant, not a volunteer. See, a volunteer serves when convenient. A servant, a servant serves out of commitment. The volunteer does what he or she wants to do when he or she feels like doing it. The servant? Well, that's different. The servant serves no matter what. Doing what he or she is told when he or she is told to do it. Now, that attitude is on display in one of the parables Jesus told. Luke chapter 17, verse 10. Check this. So you also... When you have done all that you were commanded, this should be our response. We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Now, I've heard it said that you can assess how well you're doing. You can take a test on how well you're doing at being a servant. It's a pretty simple test. Here's how we know we're a servant. You know you're a servant by how you respond when you're treated like one. (laughs) Ouch. Jesus didn't recruit volunteers. He redeemed us 
to be servants. One of my greatest joys as a pastor is seeing believers come alive in their understanding of how the Holy Spirit has gifted them for ministry. When people discover how they've been gifted and now deploy that spiritual gift in service. I love watching that because all of that grows the church to maturity and brings glory to God. Now, to bring this down to a practical level, to help us see how the various gifts work together, I'm going to ask you to use your imagination. Imagine Pastor Chris, our youth pastor, was walking through the lobby with a plate of freshly baked cookies from Debbie Collins. (laughs) Debbie Collins makes cookies when she's able every Tuesday for the staff. And whenever they come, Pastor Chris just goes crazy. He like pulls them over to where he's seated at the table. Well, so imagine Chris has all these cookies. They're fresh. They're even warm. And he's hoarding them. And he's walking through the lobby and he drops them. And cookies go everywhere. And as he stood there crying, (laughs) I did run this by Chris, just let you know. Someone with the gift of service, somebody with the gift of serving, came over quickly and said these words, oh, let me help you clean it up. That's the gift of serving. Well, just then, a believer with the gift of teaching crossed his arms and said, Chris, the reason it fell was because it was too heavy on one side, and you were not being careful. In addition, you should have been sharing with others. That's the gift of teaching. To which another person with the gift of exhortation responded, next time maybe you should let Pastor Ed carry the cookies. I don't think that would be helpful. And then a generous brother or sister with the gift of of giving quickly jump in and say, Chris, let me buy you a snack at the cafe. A compassionate person with the gift of mercy noticed that Chris was embarrassed and came up to him and said, don't feel too badly. It could have happened to anyone. And then an individual with the gift of administration would start organizing everything. By the way, keep praying as we seek God for our next administrative pastor and children's ministry director. So imagine this administrator quickly gets up and gets other people involved. And he says something like this, Jim, could you get the vacuum? Sue, please help pick this up. Mary, could you tell Debbie and ask her to bake some more cookies so Chris stops crying? (laughs) Now, maybe you're like, I don't know where to serve. Well, that's a legitimate question. But here's what I've observed. If you're willing to serve and available to serve, God will find a place for you to serve. There are some ways to serve. We talk about our growing children's ministry. There certainly needs all the time in that area. But there's another way to serve, and that's with our snow servant team. You came in today to plowed lots and shoveled sidewalks. Uh, Scott Shattuck heads that up. Scott, just raise your hand in case you're interested. You can seek uh, Scott out after the service. And specifically, we're looking for more individuals who'd be willing to shovel sidewalks 
sidewalks. And so if you're interested in that, uh, let us know. So let me ask a couple questions. In what ways are you giving what God has given to you? It's good for us to step back and realize that breath you just took came from him. Where you live came from him. How you got here, your car, your truck. You probably didn't drive a motorcycle today, but everything you have is a gift from him. And one of our four G's, gather, grow, give, and go. Give back to God what he's given to us. So how are you deploying the spiritual gift or spiritual gifts you've been given for the sake of the body of Christ. Now, if you've been serving, you know serving is work. Do you know it's also worship? Listen to the last phrase from Ephesians 4.16, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, we may not have it all together, but together... We have it all. So here's what I think. Every spiritual gift that Edgewood needs for the growth of our church is here at Edgewood, deposited and distributed in the believers here at Edgewood. And as we deploy those gifts, God gets the glory. We stay on mission. We see more people come to faith in Christ. We send out more missionaries. That's how God has designed it. Listen, no one can do everything, but everyone can do something. By the way, speaking of how God gives us gifts We're featuring a book out at our resource center. It's called God Made Boys and Girls. And this book helps children understand their gender as a gift from God who made them and loves them and wants to use them in service. There's books just to the right of the cafe over there. You might want to browse that. There might even be some Christmas ideas there for children, for grandchildren, for yourself. So to walk by the Spirit, we must keep in step with the Spirit. Thirdly, witness by the Spirit. We see this in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of... Now, perhaps you've not noticed this, or we just need to be reminded. Notice the Trinity. Notice Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." End of Matthew. If you look at the end of Luke's gospel, the disciples are told to wait. Wait for what? Wait for power that is going to come upon them and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise, that's the Holy Spirit, of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until 
you are clothed with power from on high. Then you go over to the opening chapter, book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8. The Holy Spirit empowers us to be gospel witnesses to our family, to our neighbors, and to the nations. But you will receive power when the, notice, the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. One of the applications during this series, the last two weekends, we've talked about following the nudges of the Holy Spirit. Follow the promptings of the Spirit. So if you're a born-again believer, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. He's engaging us to live on mission for him. Of course, he's going to prompt us to have conversations, to do acts of service when we're around people who need to know Jesus and we're around believers who need to be encouraged. So because of that emphasis, I've been particularly aware and wanting to follow the nudges and the promptings of the Holy Spirit, and I trust you've been doing the same. On Monday, I went to one of my least favorite appointments. I went to the dentist. I did not want to go. When I walked in, I noticed an older woman off to my left in the waiting room, and I glanced at her. She looked up at me. We both smiled, and then I went over to the receptionist. The receptionist asked me how I was doing. It was an opportunity, so I said, well, actually, I'm better than I deserve. To which this woman in the waiting room shouted out, and she said, I love that answer. And then the receptionist asked if anything had changed since the last time I was there. I told her that I've probably become crabbier since I was there last time. That made the woman in the waiting room guffaw. She thought it was funnier than you do. So when I sat down, you're already thinking, he's already crabby. How could he get crabbier? So when I sat down, I sat next to this lady, and she brought up what I had said about being better than I deserve. And so I just jumped in, and I said, you know, everything we have is a gift of grace, you know, forgiveness. And she said, well, we got to work to be, you know, we had to work for God to accept us. And I'm like, oh, no, no, no. It's all by his grace. Everything we have is a gift. And I was able to give a summary of the gospel message. It was not a long conversation, but the Holy Spirit allowed me to give a brief gospel witness because just then her name was called and she went into her appointment. So friends, keep listening to the nudges of the Holy Spirit as you minister in your homes. Perhaps he's wanting you to have more courage dads maybe to lead more strongly, grandparents to be focused on discipling our grandchildren and not just playing with them or spoiling them, but intentionally focusing on discipling them. However he leads you, let's be obedient and let's watch what God does all for his glory. I love being one of the pastors at a church that takes the Great Commission so seriously. On a regular basis, I hear stories of how God is using you as you live on mission in our community. And your participation in Operation Christmas Child this year was record-breaking. Get this, 770 shoeboxes were packed. Yeah. 
And I want to give special thanks to Jody Russell. Jody, could you raise your hand? Jody Russell and her assistant, Mike, <laughs> also her husband, for all they did to run point on this gospel outreach. They not only ran point for Edgewood's focus, but also we were a drop-off location. They were here uh, every day for like a week, and 1,699 boxes came in for this. Get this. Since 2012, Edgewood has packed a total of 6,025 shoeboxes. Now, if you're not familiar, yeah, praise God for that. If, if you're not familiar with this ministry, it's wonderful that these kids, these kids in need all over the globe receive a box and it's filled for a boy or a girl. It's all by age and there's items in there that are practical and will put a smile on their faces. If that's all we did, it would be good, but it's more than that. Because a gospel booklet goes in there, written in their language. Those boxes are distributed by churches, which are then able to provide follow-up in those communities. But I just want you to observe these numbers. In 2012, we put together 127 boxes, and this year, 700 and 70. One of those years, you can see it really bumped up. I think that was the year a young couple put together, get this, 100 boxes on their own. Incredibly, through Operation Christmas Child, every 24 hours, nearly 25,000 hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is in one day. 6,400 put their faith in Jesus. Over 11,000 enroll in the greatest journey. That's a 12-week discipleship course. And this final slide shows a group of kids who've graduated from that discipleship course. Yeah. They receive a certificate, obviously all in their own language, and a free Bible in their own language. So bless you for your giving and continue to look for ways to live on mission for his glory, empowered by the Holy Spirit. So to walk by the Spirit, we need to keep in step with the Spirit, which leads then to the way to the Spirit-led life. So the key to walking by the Spirit, working by the Spirit, witnessing by the Spirit is to make sure that we are filled by the Spirit. We see this mandate in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Let's make some observations to help us understand this key concept. First, and perhaps surprising, maybe even jarring, there's a direct parallel drawn between being drunk with wine and being filled with the Spirit. So what's the issue there? Well, the, inf- the issue is one of influence or control. The word debauchery, that's a strong word. It means excessive indulgence. Uh, the word I would use for when I was in college was crazy partying. When I used to drink in high school and in college before God saved me by his grace, there were times... Too many to count, actually, when I was out of control. I was under the influence. 
We even use that in our court system, right? Under the influence. Because alcohol does that. Some of us turn to alcohol because it's a buzz. But remember, it also influences. It controls. I come from a family of alcoholics. I don't talk much about that. But I have deep pain from that. I have relatives who've died from alcoholism. My grandpa owned a bar. My other grandpa worked at a brewery from Wisconsin. Here it says, don't get drunk with wine. What I would say, and I'll say this even more firmly in the next service when we have a lot of high schoolers and our young adults here, but, but it's good for all of us just to ponder this. If you're drinking on a regular basis, let me just caution you and warn you. What starts as just a drink can lead to a part where you're now not able to stop. And every time you drink, you are under some sort of control, especially here. Now, I know the Bible doesn't say we can't drink. The Bible warns against drunkenness. But what I'm saying, I'm saying from my heart, is you have to be careful. And so Paul's drawing an application. We all know people who, when we see them, when they're drunk, when they're wasted, they can't even walk. Why? They're under the influence. And so Paul says, all right, have that image in your mind, and now when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you are under his influence, his control. He's the one who controls us. Oh, incidentally, let me just add this. Do you know another name for liquor? A th- shout out some names for, for alcohol. Booze. Spirits. Isn't that kind of chilling? Spirits. Evil spirits. I mean, those who get drunk can end up doing some really bad stuff. Well, I digress, but I'm, I, I wanted to hover there for a bit. Next, we're commanded to be filled with the Spirit. In the original, the verb is in the imperative mood, meaning, get this, the filling of the Holy Spirit is expected. It's a command. It's not optional. Next, we're to continually be filled with the Spirit. The verb is in the present tense. It can be translated like this, be continually filled with the Holy Spirit all the time. Be constantly controlled by the Spirit. It's also in the passive tense. It doesn't say fill yourself with the Spirit, but rather be filled with the Spirit. It means the filling of the Spirit is a work of God, not something we can conjure up. Oh, and it's plural, Paul is saying, let each and every one of you be filled with the Spirit. We can see that, verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Verse 21, same chapter, submitting to one another. Those one another's come right after being filled with the Spirit. I appreciate Ray Pritchard's insight. The Holy Spirit is ready and willing to fill us at any moment. And secondly, we must make ourselves available to him. Ray argues the ultimate issue is one of control. Am I in charge of my life or is the Holy Spirit? See, to be filled with the Spirit doesn't mean I somehow get more of the Holy Spirit. No, when you're saved, you get all the Holy Spirit. What it does mean is that the Holy Spirit has more of you or all of you. 
I'm called to cooperate with the Holy Spirit and allow him to lead me. In other words, am I going to keep on trying to do things on my own, in my own way, or will I keep in step with the Spirit? Let me have us think of a helpful illustration. How many of you have been to Chicago and have seen the L or ridden the L? We lived in Chicago for many years. Uh, The L has two rails for the wheels, but it also has a third rail. That third rail has electricity running through it. When there's contact from the car, from the L on that third rail, there's now power available. So the third rail is like the Holy Spirit. His power, always available to us, but sometimes we live out of contact with his power. And when that happens, our lives simply stop working the way God intended and we default to our self-centered sinfulness. So the filling of the Holy Spirit is that state in which the Holy Spirit is free to do all that he came in my life to do. The filling of the Holy Spirit is not primarily an emotional experience. It's certainly not reserved for a few super Christians. It's nothing more than the normal Christian life where the Holy Spirit is in control when we are under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Our responsibility is to be controlled by the Spirit, to cooperate with the Spirit, and to stay in contact with the Spirit. Now, let me illustrate. Imagine trying to fill up a jar that's already filled with something else. This jar is filled with dirt. Application for some of our lives, our lives are full. We've got everything we need. We're happy, or so we think. So our lives are full. Listen, you can't fill what is already full. And some believers are so full of self and sin, they have no room for the Holy Spirit. Or imagine this jar... This jar is empty, but imagine that this lid is on so tightly I can't even get it off. This jar, for all practical purposes, is closed. Listen, you can't fill what can't be opened. And I wonder if some of us have simply closed off our hearts to the work of the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is waiting for two things from us, emptiness and openness. You can't fill a jar that's already full, and you can't fill a jar that will not open. Question, are you empty, and are you open to the Holy Spirit? Before we'll do that, we need to know that we're in need. Lord, I'm empty, and I need to be filled by your Spirit. This isn't working in my own strength, and there needs to be a willingness. Lord, I'm wide open to you. Have your way in me. Let your spirit fill me now. Recently, I read a very helpful book by A.W. Tozer. It's called How to Be Filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's an excerpt. Many of us have grown up on the theology that accepts the Holy Spirit as a person and even as a divine person, but for some reason, that never did us any good. We are as empty as ever. We are as joyless as ever. We are as far from peace as ever. We're as weak as ever. The Spirit-filled life is not a special deluxe edition of Christianity. It is part and parcel of the total plan of God for his people. It is not abnormal. Tozer writes, I admit that it is unusual because there are so few people who walk in the light of it or enjoy it, but it is not abnormal. 
before you can be filled with the Spirit, you must desire to be filled. I ask you, do you want him to be Lord of your life? He continues, that you want his benefits? Oh, I know. I take that for granted, but do you want to be possessed by him? Do you want to hand the keys of your soul over to the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, from now on, I don't even have a key to my own house. And I wonder right now, are you ready to submit and surrender to the Holy Spirit? What will you do? What will you do? Will you do what it takes to get in step with the Holy Spirit of God? Because to walk by the Spirit, we must keep in step with the Spirit. Beth and I will continue working at staying in step with one another because step synchronicity happens when we spend a lot of time together. I'm told at boot camp they do a lot of marching and those Marching movements are initiated from the position of attention and then forward march and then matching chants or cadences to keep us synchronized, to keep soldiers ready to march. I'm going to invite you to stand and I'm going to end by reading a Trinitarian benediction. But before that, I want you to just spend a moment and allow the Holy Spirit to apply what we've learned here together today. One of his roles is to convict us, to teach us, to encourage us, to comfort us. And so you open yourself right now to the Holy Spirit. If you've not surrendered to him for salvation or for service, do that right now. Receive this benediction from Ephesians 3. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Have a great rest of the day.